Hello and welcome to the Full of Beans podcast, hosted by myself, Hannah Hickenbotham. Throughout these podcast episodes, we will speak to a range of individuals about their experience of eating disorders, with the aim of increasing awareness and understanding, whilst reducing stigma and isolation. Please note that the topics discussed in this podcast may be triggering for some individuals, so tread lightly, check in with yourself and reflect on these conversations. This week, I'm joined by Cara Lissett. Cara is a mental health advocate and has done a lot of work around eating disorders. This week we talk a lot about diagnostic labels and the difference that different diagnostic labels can have on somebody's treatment, somebody's recovery process and a number of other things including how somebody might perceive their own illness. We also talk about Cara's recovery journey and the work that she is doing now. It was so lovely to chat with Cara today because we chatted quite a few years ago and it was really nice to see the development of her own journey, which was really inspiring. How are you? I'm fine, how are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Um, yeah, I've, this is my first weekend in like the whole, since May, I think, that I've actually been home and had no plans. Um, so I feel really like, weird yeah <laughs> yeah I was like that last week and Matt was like should we get up and do something I was like I really just want to play sims for a couple of days <laughs> oh wow yeah Sometimes it's just nice to not do stuff isn't it yeah nice. normally it's like you know you get to this time and you're traveling back from somewhere and you're just oh I'm so tired um yeah, yeah. have you <laughs> been any up to anything this weekend Mm, just been doing lots of writing this weekend some potential new projects yeah I saw yeah I saw on your LinkedIn uh, not LinkedIn sorry on your Twitter and you were like uh, oh I really want to I really want to tell you what I'm doing and it was like you know when someone's like oh I have this secret but I can't tell you I was like ah that's so unfair yeah Yeah, I'm doing that most of the weekends um we went to Next this morning to nice. buy some clothes. And I wanted, really wanted to go to Costa there because I went last week and they had this, like, strawberry lemonade thing that was amazing. Ooh. So I was, like, really excited the whole time we were there because it was close for Matt. So I was like, oh, well, I'll get there and my treat will be that I can get strawberry yeah. lemonade. And they weren't doing any cold drinks because they said they had technical problems. So I was, like, really what? disappointed. So I went and got a Solero instead, which fulfilled the, like, fruity cold. Yeah. Craving. Oh, nice. Yeah, I do love it. That's ridiculous. No cold drinks. I know. On a day wow. like today as well, like it's actually yeah, quite warm say, today for like the first time yeah. all summer. Pretty much. Yeah, they're going to be losing a lot of money out of I no know. cold drinks. They should have had that like last week or whatever when it was actually cold. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's like I've I've had so many like drunk nights out where I've gone to, everyone wants to go to McDonald's and like I'm not a massive fan of McDonald's but I love their McFlurries and it's always on a night out they're like, yeah, the ice cream machine's not It's working. always broken, like, isn't it? Yeah, literally. <laughs> oh, nightmare. Um, Anyway, I'm so excited to chat to you. It's It feels really funny actually doing this with you because when we did our last podcast episode, I like knew of you as like, you know, somebody in the Ethan sort of recovery community, but like didn't know you very well. And I feel like since then, I mean, it must be like two years ago that we did it. I think it was a um, long time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've met you in person twice and feel like I know you so much better. So it's, it's really nice because I feel like rather than doing a podcast with somebody that I'm like interviewing I feel like I'm just chatting to a friend which is really yeah I'm really excited actually (laughs) good um so yeah I think when we spoke about what we were going to talk about we I think we're one going to talk kind of about like diagnoses and labels and stuff but then also touch on the sort of hierarchy in diagnostic labels as well specifically for eating disorders um 
So where should we start? I, I, I was thinking somewhere that might be nice to start is maybe to explore the different, I guess, diagnostic labels we've both been given and maybe the the different kind of ways that they've made us feel because I don't know about you but for me like the different labels that I've been given have affected me differently um so maybe if you want to start there yeah definitely so um the two diagnoses I've had are anorexia and purging disorder um Mm. and anorexia was generally always taken quite seriously and I've always got treatment Mm. for it when it's come up and when I've had that diagnosis um I'd say it's been taken more seriously the lower my weight is which is kind of yeah. uh, typical really isn't it across a lot of places so obviously that's not happening everywhere and I do have some like, really good practice um happening in some places but I think it's not uncommon for that to kind of be the situation that people are in um but when I got diagnosed with purging disorder um they basically said we've got this group that you can do that's just a pilot we've never done it before um it was in the middle of the day so I would have had to have like taken time out of work and stuff and I didn't want work to know um so I said I can't do a group can I see somebody um one-to-one again because I'd already been there a couple of times before with an anorexia diagnosis and they said no um that's not an option uh, for you to do that because your diagnosis has changed and um your discharge from the service for non-engagement and then I went back a couple of years later when I had anorexia again and they were like yeah we need to see you within like six weeks you need therapy straight away um by the time I got to therapy they said you're not well enough for therapy so then I started day patient and I was there for six months and it all happened really really quickly um and it was just a completely different response like both times um so I can I really don't like the sort of hierarchy that is you know that is perceived in like eating mm-hmm. disorders but I do think services really like perpetuate it mm-hmm. as well and I know that like their hands are tied by commissioning and stuff like that and like the resources they've got and it's not their fault but equally um you know I have very much come away from that thinking you only care about me when I have this diagnosis and you don't yeah. care about me when I have this one yeah I guess just to just in case people aren't aware just before I ask you a thousand questions about how that made you feel and that sounds awful um what is purging disorder just in case people haven't heard of that like how is it so defined? purging disorders like um bulimia but without binges so just eating what would be considered externally to be sort of like a relatively normal amount of food consistently but using like purging behaviors to compensate for it so things like um vomiting laxatives exercise um stuff mm-hmm. like that so um I think it's really not very well known um and I think a lot of people think that if there is any sort of um like purging behaviors that automatically means somebody has bulimia but there has Mm. to be binges present to have a bulimia diagnosis and there doesn't for a purging disorder diagnosis um but like if you're underweight and you're using like purging behaviors it's likely you'll get an anorexia diagnosis I think so um some of it is also weight dependent so I was like a quote-unquote sort of like normal weight um Mm -hmm. when I had that diagnosis um and then only got an anorexia diagnosis when the purging behavior kind of reduced by then because the restriction had increased but um Mm -hmm. yeah that's when it kind of shifted again was when there was like a really big shift in my weight as well Mm. Yeah. So my understanding of it, and and like, correct me if I'm wrong, is that, so if you are purging and binging, and at a quote unquote healthy BMI, 
then you'll be diagnosed with bulimia. Then if you're not binging but purging and at a quote-unquote healthy BMI, then you get purging disorder. But then if your BMI is less than 18.5 and you're purging, then you get anorexia, binge, oh, binging and purging, then it's binge purge subtype. But then if it's just restriction, no binging or purging, and your BMI is less than 18.5, is anorexia. And then if it's just restriction, but your BMI is more than 18.5, it's atypical anorexia. Yeah, it's a bit of a minefield, like the whole diagnostic thing. And obviously, like, I'm not a doctor and I don't diagnose people with yeah. eating disorders. So, um, you know, I am talking as sort of like a lay person, I suppose. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's quite complicated because the problem with yeah. eating disorders is there's so many overlaps in symptoms, isn't there? And people shift symptoms like a lot over the time yeah. that they're unwell. Um, so it's really not that uncommon for people to kind of shift from like one diagnosis to another. Mm-hmm. Um, and back again or you know things just you know things do change don't they over the course of like illness and recovery and all that sort of process um so I think it's actually quite a complicated um yeah a complicated system to navigate the sort of diagnostic realm yeah I mean I think the fact that you know two people sat here right now who yes like you say we're both not doctors and we're not like qualified psychologists or anything but we we are quite in the know about eating disorders still kind of struggle to get their head around the diagnostic criteria but that was the question I wanted to ask you was like you know from what you said it was very much you know if you if you're um you have the diagnosis of anorexia then yes therapy is all yours and like really intense and all that but if it's purging disorder like oh sorry you can only do group work which you know for some people may work but if you knew that the therapy the one-to-one therapy was something that would work for you like in my eyes you know you want to give the best care to someone possible but when you were experiencing the anorexia diagnosis compared to the been uh, the purging disorder sometimes had your mentality changed or was it just your behaviors that had changed or had your behaviors um, even changed I would say my my mental health was worse um because I think I was just much less nourished I suppose like when I was a lower weight um you know the the restriction like how much food I was getting sort of in my body was significantly less than when I had purging disorder so I would say mentally I felt worse in terms of mm-hmm. all those sort of symptoms that you get alongside you know like really severe restrictions so um things like your thinking gets really rigid and um inability to like be spontaneous and not being able to concentrate and stuff like that but in terms of my like self-esteem and how I felt about myself it didn't really change at all I felt terrible Mm -hmm. about myself equally um in both of those sort of stages and when I went back most recently when I I went to the GP and said I think I'm you know I need a bit more support um they read the referral and said um this looks like it's still a purging disorder diagnosis and we don't have anything to offer anymore because the group the pilot group hadn't been extended um so they said there's absolutely nothing if you have a purging disorder diagnosis and I was just not offered an assessment so I went back again to the GP and was like I don't think that's the problem anymore and then once I got an assessment they were like oh you're really unwell um Mm. we need to see you as like urgently as possible so um it was all a really frustrating process for me that because I think like things ended up like a lot worse than they needed to be 
Um, and once they yeah. were bad, they were brilliant. Like they were really receptive. They were very, very quick. Um, but it took a lot to kind of get that input. Yeah. And I think that's the the dangerous and scary thing, isn't it? Is that if you are in a critical position, the help is there. But and this is what I always find really frustrating um when I do like workshops or talk to people about it and they're like you know what would your advice be to somebody struggling with an eating disorder and I always say like speak to your GP but the problem is is actually that's not really the best advice and I don't think it's any fault of the GPs I think Mm -hmm. it's training and education and resources like you mentioned at the start but I know myself from going to the GP that I've been told there's not really anything for you right now um and you do need to go and get more sick before we can help you and you know it's a really awful position to be in because naturally along with anorexia a lot of the time comes perfectionism so to just turn around and tell somebody yeah you're not quite doing it right sorry or like Mm. you need to make yourself worse they probably are going to go and make themselves worse. And then down the line, that's so much more money, so much more time, so much mm-hmm. more care that is then needed for somebody. Yeah, and the thing that I think is really difficult about it is anorexia is such a small percentage of the people that have an eating disorder that actually most people will never, <clears throat> never end up sick enough by like the standards of what that would need to be to get treatment regardless of whether they get sent away and told that that's what needs to happen because most people just don't have anorexia so mm-hmm. um that's just not going to happen for them and that's really difficult I think because you shouldn't have to only have one diagnosis and be like um you know a particular amount of sick because also sometimes you're too sick for therapy mm-hmm. or eating disorder services that can go the other direction so you know most people aren't going to be that just perfect amount of anorexic to get the right amount of support that they need because they have lots of other things going on you know they have maybe have a different diagnosis different symptoms different you know different weight different whatever like anything yeah. is that's going on if it's you know if it seems to deviate outside of that really small window um there's just lots of people that aren't ever going to get that help and it's really frustrating mm-hmm. because that's not for lack of wanting from those services I think I think people that work in these services really want to be able to help everyone that they can and their hands are just so tied um that I think it's you know it must be just a really really hard system to work in I think yeah yeah I think it it's incredibly difficult and I've had this conversation a lot with people in terms of the people that are working in those services are there for a reason and they're there because they care so much and you know hats off to people working within eating sort of service with within the NHS because thank god you are there (laughs) and thank god that you are you know doing your best to support people um but i i had a very similar experience this time around with my diagnosis um i literally said to them i was like you know do i have to have a diagnosis because i know as soon as you i I, like you know i knew that i was going to get diagnosed with atypical anorexia my bmi was not less than 18.5 and i said to them i know as soon as you say those words to me i've been here four times before it does not help me and they were like unfortunately because of the way the system is we have to diagnose you okay whatever like that is if you have to do it you have to do it and so then that obviously put me in the osfed category and the thing I don't know whether this is the same for all services, but the thing that shocked me quite a lot was 
so I am very much of the argument and we can come on to this in the moment that people should just be diagnosed with an eating disorder and then we help people with their symptoms and their behaviors rather than like you know you specifically have anorexia therefore you get this treatment you specifically have bulimia you get this treatment and but the and and so the NHS argues that we need to have those specific diagnostic criteria so that we can treat people appropriately okay that's your argument but then if you've got anorexia you get that one-to-one support and you do mantra or whatever you do I was then put into a group that was OSFED, bulimia and binge eating disorder all of us just like thrown away into a bucket of group intervention and self-help and it was just like so basically I don't have anorexia which is the one quote-unquote let's say so I'm just like thrown into this pile and 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 I remember saying to them like but surely if I've got atypical anorexia it would be more helpful for me to be in a group with people that have anorexia um you know if you're using the mindset of like you know you've got that diagnosis therefore you need to like work with those people and we're like oh no no like you know it's more similar to bulimia and binge eating disorder what yeah it's really tricky, isn't it? Like, I I kind of see it from both sides. Like, I, t- I do totally see what you're saying there and that you just get this diagnosis and then you get what you get, which is, you know, you get what feels like it's the most appropriate thing for you. I suppose the thing that gets missed, I think, with... So I feel like people chase an anorexia diagnosis a lot, even if that's not what they have, um, yes. because it is seen as being this sort of gold standard of eating disorders and you'll get all this input and... Um, even with people with anorexia don't always get very good input Um, so it's not you know it's not always the case that that happens but equally if you have bulimia you your cognitions are likely to be different to someone with anorexia because those are not the same illness and actually Mm -hmm. if there's one type of therapy that we know works for bulimia and one that we know works for anorexia it makes sense to me to split those up and give them kind of what the the evidence says is the best thing for them like mantra probably isn't going to work for someone with binge eating disorder because they're completely different illnesses even though a lot of the underlying stuff is still the same the way that those illnesses like play out is so different that those two treatments you know almost couldn't overlap each other so I do see the argument both sides are just like actually you know I don't think why should someone with anorexia get 40 sessions and someone with Mm-hmm. believe me it gets 10 yeah. or whatever like I think you should have as many sessions as you need until you're well um and mm-hmm. you should get that whatever but in terms of the actual treatment I do think it's right that we're giving someone the, the treatment that's evidence-based to work for their particular condition the best because like eating disorders you know as an umbrella term they're not just like one homogenous thing you know some of them are really like really quite different in the way that they present behaviorally and cognitively as well um so I think it makes sense so that we can say you've got these symptoms and this is the treatment that we think works best for those symptoms but you should have that treatment for as long as you need that treatment for not you've got this diagnosis so you only get 10 and you've got this one so you get 30 does that make sense yeah I completely completely understand where you're coming from and I think if if we could prove that everybody with binge eating disorder had the same cognition and everybody with anorexia had the same condition and everybody with bulimia had the same condition, I would agree with you wholeheartedly. However, I don't think that that is the case. And I think that 
you know, I don't think I've ever sat down with another person that has atypical anorexia and had precisely the same cognition and precisely the same behaviours as them. And I have equally sat down with somebody with binge eating disorder and their drive and their motivation and the underlying symptoms that cause them to eat in a or behave in a particular way have been very similar to me. Mm. And so I think that's that's why my argument for the sort of overall eating disorder diagnosis rather than a specific anorexia, that's why I have it because I feel like at the moment, you know, for me, um, and this is actually something I've been reflecting on recently, is like I was given the diagnosis of atypical anorexia but the word anorexia has never felt like it fit me and I've always mm-hmm. felt like a fraud and I thought that I felt like a fraud because I didn't have a BMI of less than 18.5 that's what I've thought for like 10 years and then one of my friends who you know very well George Mycock he obviously does a lot of work with muscle dysmorphia and the more that I talk to him about muscle dysmorphia, the more I realize that actually my behaviors are very much driven on a drive for muscularity and a drive for leanness. And so that plays out in my exercise and in my food. And so that's why, for, I think, I don't know, obviously, that's why atypical anorexia has never felt like it fit with mm. me. But, but because I've had that diagnosis, I've just been like, okay, I'm the failure because the treatment for atypical anorexia hasn't worked for me. And I think, so that's, I guess that's kind of different in a way that like I'm saying, because it's not been something that's been explored with me. um, It's not something I've considered, but I think like, you know, you speak to a lot of people and obviously not everybody, because I think people binge for different reasons, but Mm. a lot of the time people binge because they're restricting. Yeah. um, And then, you know, they're restricting for, a particular reason and it might be self-esteem or the way that they feel about themselves and that is really similar to somebody with anorexia mm. but I think because we're just like oh it's binge eating disorder we automatically think that they've got a different cognition and they may do you know my my argument here may be completely invalid but I think basically what I'm trying to say is I think having a broader approach to it means that you actually have to work with the individual to understand why they're doing certain things and why they feel that that's more beneficial to them than you know having a healthy relationship with food and having a balanced exercise routine. Um, whereas I think it just makes it a little bit easier for clinicians when they say, oh, you've got binge eating disorder to just give them the treatment that they assume will work because there's evidence based behind it. But really, how evidence based is it? Yeah, and I think that's a really good argument as well for um people that do kind of shape shift you know different diagnoses mm-hmm. and different behaviors and stuff like that um you know if you're only targeting one particular type of behavior and not not others that might come up you're potentially just overlooking mm-hmm. something that's really dangerous so like if you have got someone for example who kind of flits between like anorexia and bulimia if your therapy is only addressing the restriction um it's really likely they're just going to ping back to a sort of different Mm. presentation again because you haven't targeted the other stuff that might not be present at that time but has been previously or is likely to be in the future um so I don't yeah there's definitely arguments for for both Mm -hmm. sides of it I think completely as I I don't think um you know I can be very much swayed either direction depending on what what the the argument is I think it's really really complicated and there's definitely pros Mm -hmm. and cons for both of those approaches yeah and I think that's the thing isn't it it's we're not sat here saying throw the diagnoses out the window um or 
kind of, you know, keep them on and let's make them even more rigid and set in stone. It's it's kind of finding that balance between both mm. of them and maybe, you know, exploring that just because somebody has a particular diagnosis doesn't mean they're going to present with certain symptoms. And I think as well, the thing that I always think is, for me, when I was in therapy before, um, through the NHS, it was very much like symptom focused. So it would be mm. like, you know, you're on this meal plan now because we need to focus on the fear foods that you've got and stuff like that. But for for me, that's that's not how that's not how I kind of am with my eating disorder. And actually, now that I'm very fortunate to be in private therapy, we're looking at the underneath and like you know thinking about my like the way that I perceive myself or that my childhood and the way that I grew up and the beliefs that I have is not, not like I literally never talk about food in therapy mm. we go completely underneath that and that to me feels I'm, I'm getting more to the insecurities rather than yeah. this and, and you know I I don't believe at the moment that I've started the therapy of like challenging fear foods because I still know that that's something that I need to do um and in the future I definitely think but I just don't feel like I'm in a place at the moment mm. I feel like I need to establish like what I'm trying to run away from with the eating disorder before I'm just like oh I can eat a cookie now if that makes sense and I know it's yeah. different for everybody as well I just I'm going on a bit of a ramble here <laughs> no no I think you're right and I think the problem is one of the big problems as well of um having such rigid treatments for particular presentations is that if it doesn't work you're kind of told well you've had the thing that works for this so we've got nothing else to give you rather than being able to be like oh actually maybe this sort of first line treatment hasn't been the most effective for you let's try something different and see yeah. if that makes a difference and that's just not what a lot of people are getting um I have had that experience personally the first time I did CBTE I didn't like it at all um and I then got offered a different type of therapy which is really helpful so like my experiences have for the most part been very positive like I have you know I have been turned away when I probably needed help before and I have had to wait really long times but once I've actually had treatment it's all pretty much always been really really good um, and then the one time it wasn't they gave me something else so you know I do come from a place where I understand that I'm very privileged in kind of the way that eating disorders mm. services has treated me because I've presented in sort of like the most typical way possible most of the time I suppose for what they're looking for um so I think I think it can be really helpful because you can go like these are your symptoms this is kind of your thoughts and behaviors we know that this treatment is the most effective for this but if that then means you can't do anything else I think that's when it becomes a real problem um mm. of you know it's very much like you failed at the treatment and not like the treatment's failed yeah. you and we need to try something else and there's just not enough flexibility I don't think out there for people mm. who don't respond to like traditional CBT or like mantra or um something like that yeah yeah I think you're right and um I, I love that you also can appreciate like how obviously you've not been fortunate because you've really struggled with your mental health and stuff but um fortunate in the sense of like the treatment that you have had has worked and I think that's a really nice reflection and I suppose on the back of that like if if a clinician is listening and thinking maybe I don't have the resources to be that adaptable are there other things from the treatment that you received that really helped support you in your recovery and and make it like the mo like the most suitable experience for you possible? I suppose like this most recent time, especially like 
the other times as well to be fair but like really this time because the team around me was a lot bigger because I was in day patients so I had a lot more professionals involved rather than just like a singular therapist um although I did go on to have like a singular therapist Mm. um everyone just felt like they were really really listening to me and like Mm. there was there was actually very very strict rules in day patient of like if you don't gain a minimum amount of this weight every week you get removed um so you get one chance of not doing it and then if you don't do it again you get removed I actually didn't do it loads of times um and that never I never even had to take the week out that never happened to me um because they were always like we can see you're really trying um Mm. and I never you know I as much as I probably wanted to I never lied to them about like whether you know if I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing or like if I didn't eat enough I was just really honest and been like I just found that too difficult but I'm telling Mm. you the truth about it and and I think the fact they could see that I was just being really upfront and I was trying so hard meant that they were like do you know what we need to be a bit flexible here and a bit adaptable and just sort of meet meet her where she's at rather than making her go at the same pace that we Mm. you know expect her to go at and I don't know why that was the case for me and not necessarily for other people. Um, You know, I wasn't in their heads and in their meetings or whatever, but I just really felt like I was kind of met where I was at and things were done Mm -hmm. at like, they were done at my pace within reason. You know, I would obviously have dragged it out much longer if it was completely at my own pace, but it was very much like, you know, you need to be doing this as fast as you can do it and we'll kind of be here alongside of you at the time so um yeah I didn't I wasn't like intentionally kind of dragging my heels with it or anything and I think they could see that I was kind of putting Mm. in all that effort and then my therapist when I started therapy so I didn't even start therapy until I was a healthy weight Mm. um and I then had therapy for a year after that and I think a lot of services you reach a healthy weight and that's when you're kind Mm. of done but for me that was kind of almost when the proper work started um once I'd had all that sort of intensive support to reach a healthy weight they were then like right now that your brain's working properly Mm. um, and you're a bit healthier now let's start to think about you know what we can do differently and things like you know why are things how they are at the moment what can be different how do we stop this happening again like all of that sort of stuff and then that yeah that went on for like a whole other year after that so it was almost like I was never in that position where it was like you've kind of your weight has dictated when this treatment ends it was more just like it ends when we feel like it's ready to end because they extended my sessions twice as well um so equally like I know I couldn't have been there forever and if I'd have carried on you know not kind of engaging as well as I did I suppose there would have been a point where I'm sure they would have said this just isn't the right time or this isn't working we can't do this forever sort of thing but um I really did feel like by the time I got to treatment that I'd kind of got everything out of it that I could have and that was the first time I'd felt that way um and I think it's because I was there for such a long time this time but also because um I just felt like yeah I was like really listened to so it was almost it was more like the people were important rather than the actual like type of therapy I was getting or um you know it wasn't necessarily the groups that were making the difference it was like the people running the groups and the people in the Mm. groups and how I felt like my relationship with them and stuff like that that was kind of like the core to me being well I think if that makes sense yeah absolutely I think basically what I'm hearing from you is that like 
rather than being like, okay, she's got anorexia and therefore needs to gain X amount each week. It was, they kind of saw you as an individual and as a human Mm. and saw that you were trying really, really hard. And I think you, you know, you could try as much as humanly possible. Things are still going to be really difficult. And some week you just might not gain. So to have that arbitrary value of you have to do this certain thing each week, um, I think you can, you know, I've worked with people with eating disorders before and you can see if someone's trying and it's maybe not coming through as much as they hope it is. Um, And you can see when somebody doesn't want to engage. And, you know, I think that in itself is very difficult with eating disorders because it's it's meeting somebody at a point that Mm. they they can engage um and you know that's going to be different for different people but if there's if there's that motivation behind somebody compared to I just don't want to recover you know if somebody unfortunately we know that the only person that can truly recover is the individual themselves and you can give them somebody as much help and support as possible but if they're not ready they're not ready and I think you know that can sometimes be a bit of a harsh you're not ready to recover so we can't support you but actually like with the whole having therapy when you're underweight and stuff it's it's not really the appropriate time and actually I think you do have to kind of get yourself to a place so I imagine for you because they could see that you were ready and at that place it was like you know we can really help her it's just maybe things need to be adjusted and I'm really glad to hear that they have that adaptive approach for you yeah I was very I was very lucky I do it was a weird thing. I wasn't lucky that I was so unwell. Like those were literally mm-hmm. the worst years of my life. Like yeah. it was horrific. Um, but the treatment that I got, I think I was lucky to receive. And I do think part of that is because I am probably considered to be quite like a a good patient. Like as in, you know, I engage well. I do what I'm told for the most part. Um, <laughs> you know, always like, you know relatively motivated and things like Mm -hmm. that and actually you shouldn't have to be considered a good patient to get good care like everyone should get good care but I think part of me thinks part of this is probably just me being a bit of a people pleaser and um Mm -hmm. you know a bit of a perfectionist or whatever but there's a part of me that always thought I need them to think that I'm good because otherwise I might not get what I need and actually Mm -hmm. that's not the way people should feel when they go into treatment like you could you know yeah not just, you know you can't go in and just be horrible to people like you know and you know swear at your therapist and stuff like that but like that's not okay but equally like you shouldn't have to just feel like you need to be on your best behavior in order to get you know the right care and I think a lot yeah. of people can feel like that yeah and I think also that just takes away the honesty if you feel like you have to like show yourself at your best then you know yeah. I always say this when I'm working with professionals is that like unfortunately when you're working with an eating disorder patient they're probably not going to be super grateful when you bring them their food or like mm-hmm. when you know you you don't let them exercise or whatever and I think whilst obviously like you know it's brilliant if you've got a patient that is very compliant and he's very motivated and and is you know just doing everything they need to do but that's probably quite rare and actually yeah. I think it's important we face the reality that you're asking these people to physically do something that is their absolute worst nightmare and the biggest fear of their life and it can be really difficult to support people with that and constantly stay yeah. motivated for them and things but I think having that empathetic approach as well of like they're not being difficult because they're a difficult person they're being difficult because they're they're living with a a monster in their head that is telling them you're just out to get them and you know to 
make them do things that they really don't want to do. And that's why I think it's really important that when someone is working with someone with an eating disorder, they 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 kind of get the cognition. Obviously, it's not the same for everybody, but they understand that cognition rather than just like, oh, they they don't like food or, you know, yeah. they, they just want to be skinny and, and things like that. I think getting rid of those misconceptions is really important. Yeah, they always used to say to me, like, because I always used to be, you know, relatively smiley, like trying, you know, mm. make it a nice atmosphere. Like, there wasn't very many. There was only about five of us, but obviously, like, the dynamics in a group that small can make a really mm. big difference. So I was always very much, like, trying to, you know, make it sort of like a happy place to be um and then I'd have like a one-to-one and then I would just like I would just cry and I'd be like mm. so cross and they were like why do you just keep this in all week yeah. um and then like you can you can cry anytime that you like this is really difficult for you like it's absolutely mm. fine it's fine if you're cross like you're doing something really hard um and the other thing I think was you know obviously as someone who comes from like a caring background like it was one of the things that they said to me which really stuck with me is like you're not everybody's nurse here like Mm. this isn't work like your job is recovery your job isn't to look after everybody else here that's our job um so you need to just focus on you and if you need to cry then you can cry and if you're cross you can be cross like you don't have Mm. to squash it all down and then just let it all out when you get home like that's what you know that's what we're here for and that was really important to hear because Mm. I did kind of feel like I just have to be on you know my sort of best behavior all the time and actually that's really unnatural like that's not it's just not possible to do that all the time yeah I think that's one thing I think that has I've I've heard so much I think often a lot of the time people that do have an eating disorder I don't know what it is but a lot of people do come from like a caring background or like a medical background where in their day-to-day job their role is to look after other people and even if people aren't in that sort of job you know there's a lot of people pleasing and people will put people before themselves a lot and I think that's been my realization recently you know particularly doing with full, full of beans is like I'm trying so much to help everybody else and raise awareness of eating disorders and I've forgotten about me and actually mm. you know if you're not if you're not looking after yourself you can't you can't look after anybody else and I think it like you said it does make you a bit of a fraud if you're going to be mm. all do 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 everything's fine and then back home you're crying and my partner has said to me so many times something he finds really frustrating is I'll I'll post something on Instagram and a lot of the time I'll post it as like a reminder to myself of like you know here's some tips for something and it's like kind of these tips of yeah and he's like it's really frustrating because you don't then use it I'm like yeah that's probably a really important reflection as to why am I like trying so hard to help everybody else yeah like who is that for yeah I used to go to a support group which unfortunately um never started up again after covid but I Mm. went for about maybe like 10 years it was a really long time Mm um and without fail I would say and it was people with like all different diagnoses as well like you know it was and you know different genders ages everything like it was a real mix of people and almost everybody in that group either worked for the NHS or was a teacher and that was I would say probably 90% and people you know dropped in and out and stuff like that it was probably Uh like three or four of us that were there like pretty much every month yeah um and then other people just dipped in and out kind of as and when needed but almost everyone that you know dietitian nurse doctor Mm. occupational therapist primary school teacher secondary school teacher like everyone was almost you know in some sort of like caring sort of role and you're right like it was in it so I'm quite friendly with a girl that I met there now who is a dietitian um Mm. 
and we often reflect on the fact that you know pretty much everyone in that group was in some sort of caring profession and like what is it about us that means that we're so good at looking after other people and just terrible a lot of the time at looking after ourselves and really don't give yourself enough um what would the word be like congratulations I can't think of the word like enough like credit credit that's yes (laughs) a bit tired uh give yourself enough credit for how much Mm. you do look after other people um so I guess on like um just to finish us off um because apparently my brain is shutting down it's it's going um you I mean I'm assuming from the way that you are on Instagram and from how I've seen you seem to be in a really good place which is so lovely to see so I guess for people that are currently because because you've been there you've been in those pits of nothing's ever going to get better and this is my life forever what would you kind of say to somebody in terms of getting themselves back to a better place and do you have any tips for like if somebody really is feeling quite stuck I suppose I would still always recommend that people try and get help and I've realized that that does come from a place of privilege because I've had it and but I have also been the person who's been rejected from it so I do understand mm. what it's like to be on the other side of it but I think eating disorder services have a a terrible reputation and I would literally not be alive without them I don't think Um, and I just think when you if you are someone who is fortunate enough to get in and get some support from them it can be like absolutely completely life-changing so um and they are different all across the country and it is a postcode lottery which it shouldn't be Mm. but I do suppose I want people to know that just because someone two counties over from you has had a really bad experience with theirs it doesn't mean yours is the same Mm. um commissioning's different all across the country there's different amount of resources everywhere and there shouldn't be but I just think it's really important not to go well this person in I don't know Hertfordshire had a terrible experience so Mm. I'm not going to ask for it in Cornwall like you just don't know what response you're going to get and I think that's really important to remember um in terms of like motivation stuff like I used to I've always been like a really sort of goal focused person Mm -hmm. um and a lot of work I did in therapy was around how like a lot of my goals were around sort of like really tangible achievements so it had to be like I don't know a promotion or an award or Mm -hmm. a certificate or whatever and I did a lot of work around how goals don't have to be achievement based they can just be like well-being based um so I started really focusing on things like actually what can I do that would make me happy what can I do that will bring me closer to people what can I do that will I don't know get me sort of closer to where I want to be and I did it in various different stages so I'd be like what do I want to do this week like I can't think ahead any further than this week at the moment or sometimes like really early on it was like what can I just focus on how can I just get through this this day how am I going to survive until the end of the day and then just think about it again tomorrow and thinking about long-term goals for like where am I going to be a year from now just felt absolutely impossible so just set small ones and then gradually they sort of just got bigger and bigger um, and that really helped keep me focused on kind of what I wanted to be doing and they needed to be not so far in the future that they felt abstract um, mm. but close enough you know close enough that it was something for me to actually think that that feels like an achievable thing for me to do and having something that felt like it was ahead of me kind of gave me like encouragement to kind of do what I needed to do to get to that place mm. so 
I don't know, I wanted to go on like a weekend away with my friends and I thought, I know I'm not going to be able to do that at the moment, so what steps do I need to take to make that possible? Mm-hmm. And I actually did that with Day Patient, like we built all that up, you sort of made that plan together. Mm-hmm. Um, but goals was like really important for me. Um, I also did quite a lot of stuff around values, so like what are my values at the moment and um, am I living by those values? And when I sort of drew them mm-hmm. all out and my values were all about like... Um, I don't know, family, friends, work, education, um, health, like stuff like that, self-esteem. And I looked at all of those and I just thought none of those things are compatible with being ill. Like Mm -hmm. it's just not not compatible to be sick and to have good relationships with your friends and family and to be physically healthy and to have a stable education and career that you're successful at. Like for some people it might be, for me it just wasn't. I just couldn't have all those things going on simultaneously. And I thought as long as anorexia is a value to me, I'm never going to be aligning myself with all the rest of them. So I had to just say, I need to just stop valuing that um, and focus my energies in things that feel like they're sort of more fulfilling to me. And that, that was a big step as well and kind of helping me to refocus my energies, I suppose, into areas that felt like they mattered. Um, so yeah sometimes it's not always about looking at the big picture but just about sort of small changes that you can make that feel achievable and then eventually the ones the big changes actually do feel achievable because you've made Mm -hmm. all the small ones yeah it's so lovely to hear that you say that that was like a big step in terms of like reshifting your focus because just on like a completely personal level I've I'm at a point now where before it was very much like I am so fine nobody can tell anything's wrong like I'm doing brilliantly like I'm coping like I can totally like have friends have a job have an eating disorder like you know be in this body and it's totally fine and over the past couple of weeks I've been like shit I haven't spoken to bloody blah or seen them for six months and actually like something's been going on at work recently which is completely out of my control and like I've been doing the best I possibly can but it's on like a a much bigger level than me and I can't do anything about that and that I've realized like the eating disorder is not helping me here if anything it's a hindrance and I was starting to look at my values as well in terms of you know I so so much want to be a good friend and be there for my friends and have realized over the past year I've not been able to because I've Mm -hmm. naturally because of eating sort of been so self-absorbed and just not have that energy and so I said to myself a couple of weeks ago I was like right that's my mission then like at the moment I need to reconnect with those friends and I need to apologize not that it's my fault for having an eating disorder but I feel like now that I've realized the impact I'm having it is my responsibility to do something about it but the reason I'm saying all of this is because I feel like I'm in a place where I I actually can feel that rather than you know a couple of months ago it was very much like I don't care like I don't care Mm. if my relationships have fallen apart I don't care about this I don't care about that all I cared about was eating disorder and like things are shifting and so I say this because I want people to know that even when you're in the depth of it all and it, it feels like nothing is changing I felt like that over the past few months and all of a sudden I'm like layers seem to be peeling Mm. and that only happens you know unfortunately when you keep going and it's so hard and it's it feels awful and you know the eating disorder will tell you can't believe what you're doing but I think when you start to have those glimmers and you start to achieve those very little goals 
it kind of gives you more motivation to keep going to start with like when you first start it's like the world is so big and I've got so much to achieve but then once you break it down into small things and you actually start it's almost like a kickstart of oh I did that and that felt really good and I want to do that again rather than this perpetual shit that I'm currently living in that my eating disorders created yeah definitely and like for me it wasn't a case of sounds like you've kind of noticed similar like I did function well for a really long time mm-hmm. with an eating disorder so that did make me think actually I can have it all mm-hmm. and then it all just fell apart very very quickly yeah. all at the same time um and that was really difficult because I just wasn't prepared for it mm-hmm. at all um and that that was what kind of shocked me a bit I suppose mm-hmm. of like oh actually I'm at risk of just losing you know everything here um that is important to me that do align with all my values like my relationships with people and my career and Mm. like my education and stuff like that and it was when it all fell apart really fast that it made me kind of recognize like oh actually I I can't live like this and still have all the things that I want to have and that was kind of the that was the moment where I was just like I need to really make some changes here actually and I wish I could go back and not you know let it get to that point um and say to myself I don't think you could though I genuinely because I think you know the phrase when you're like sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to be able to realize what's going on I wholeheartedly think that you know sometimes you do and Mm. like I think especially with an eating disorder you almost walk around thinking I'm godlike like I'm untouchable like I am able to eat very little do loads of exercise work my ass off be sociable be in a relationship keep a tidy house I can do all of this stuff and then all of a sudden you reach that point and it's like someone someone maybe a friend says I'm not doing this anymore or your partner says this has reached too far or like things start to fall apart at work or what have you and then it all crumbles and then it's it's so shit and unbelievable and you do just drop and think I've lost everything yeah but I think it's at that point you know eating disorders affect I would argue potentially the strongest people I know and it's that strength that allowed you to sort of navigate the eating disorder and and be highly functioning and things like that that you can then also use to get yourself out of that hole Mm. and I think that's what I've seen in so many people is that they hit rock bottom and they're like yeah I'm not a fan of this and then very slowly (laughs) it takes time but climb out and then absolutely flourish and I think it's really difficult when you're like in that pit to see the possibility that you can flourish and also to see other people flourishing and you're like why am I not like that like am I not good enough to get there um but I think it just takes time yeah and I think like for me as well I I sometimes you know see other people who were unwell and be like how come they can still have a job Mm -hmm. and I can't work and how come they've you know gone to uni and I can't study and stuff like that and then it's only now that I'm like more well I suppose and my thinking is different I can be like those people are not happy like it Mm. doesn't matter if they look like they've got things together on the outside there's no way that you can be unwell like that Mm. and be happy um and it used to make me really jealous that I'd be like how come Mm. you get to keep your eating disorder and keep everything else and I can do that and now I just think like I, I would never, I would never feel jealous of someone that had an eating disorder now that I'm more well 
because yeah. that's kind of like a, that's something people think when they're ill right like mm-hmm. why would you want to be sicker than you are like it just doesn't make sense I suppose to like an outside person and like I can look back at that now and just be like those people are not happy and I'm really sad for them um, mm-hmm. but at the time it did used to make me really cross or I'd be like how come you get to have it yeah and everything else in your life but I can't do that yeah and I think that's for me I see that as when I see that somebody's still got an eating disorder and it looks like they're functioning, that's the eating disorder making me feel inadequate because I couldn't yeah. have it all. Whereas, you know, now, like you say, you, you maybe look at people and think that and you're not jealous. I think that's because you're in a much healthier mindset and you don't want the eating disorder. Um, because I think when, when you're in an eating disorder, there's a lot of jealousy. There's a lot of triggering yeah. that goes on and, and comparison to other people. When you're genuinely happy and living your life without the eating disorder, you don't need to compare to somebody yeah. else with an eating disorder because you know that you don't want that anymore. Yeah, exactly. And I've got like a couple of friends that I've met through like treatment and support groups and stuff who are still in really bad places. And I just think now, like I might not be, you know, entirely happy with my weight or mm-hmm. my relationship with food or whatever but when I look at my life and all the things that have happened to me since I started recovery compared to like the lives of people who are still really unwell I think I wouldn't change that for anything um you know any amount of weight that I could lose or any amount of I don't know behaviors or whatever that I could Mm -hmm. you know sort of get away with like I just wouldn't change my life as it is now at all yeah yeah oh that's lovely to hear well (laughs) Thank you so much, Cara. I feel like this episode has been really motivational for me. And so I hope it has been for everybody else. But I've had some really nice reflections. Um, Where can people go to find out more about you? Um, So Twitter and Instagram. My handle is just at Cara Lizette, all one word. Um, My blog, Cara's Corner. If you just Google Cara's Corner, I'm the first search. And that's where I kind of write um, longer form thoughts than I do on social media um don't post on that like as often but I have a couple of times in the last month so it's still getting updated it's just not like it's just as and when I have a thought now rather than that I used to I used to sit to a schedule and feel like I had to and I was just like that's one of those things I just need to let go so sometimes I'll post things and sometimes I don't for a while um and then my book the eating disorder recovery journal um is available on my amazon and sort of all all major bookstores online um so again yeah if you just type that into google i'll come up amazing well thank you so much um and i highly recommend that you do check her out because one it's very motivational but two your <laughs> tweets are just hilarious <laughs> i love it for the you, i look i just love it for the happiness in the day sometimes and i'm just yeah it makes me very happy so and it's not all eating sort of focus which i think is really important that's something i'm reflecting on recently it's like it's very good to follow people in recovery because it's motivational but often it's good to just follow some random accounts as well to to keep everything lighthearted and yeah have that definitely really good intersperse it with some cats that's my motto. oh my god yes all the time <laughs> <laughs> yeah thank you so much thank you if you enjoyed listening today you won't want to miss next week's episode so be sure to subscribe Eating disorders are crippling illnesses, but with the right support, they can be recovered from. We really hope you enjoyed this episode, but if you require more support right now, please look into charities such as First Steps and Beat for support or talk to someone you trust.